0: The following audio is from Shady Grove Presbyterian Church in Rockville, Maryland. Our mission is to follow Jesus Christ and labor for His kingdom both in our area and around the world. For more information about Shady Grove Presbyterian Church, please follow us on Facebook and visit ShadyGrovePCA.org. We're going to look at 1 Peter 2, verses 13 to 17. We're continuing in our study in 1 Peter and these next three passages all begin the same way. Uh, Just to let you know the fun that we're in for these next three weeks, 2.13 begins with be subject or submit. Then 2.18 is servants or uh, slaves, uh, submit. And then uh, wives, submit to your husbands. So it's pretty easy. The theme is submission. And it's one of these interesting things I've thought about it. Christianity is the only ideology and only religion that I can think of that really puts a big thing on submission. Like, this is a good thing. That as we follow Christ, we all have these areas where we're to submit. And if you think about that, that's really not in vogue in a lot of ideologies, is it? You know, like, hey, we're for submission. (laughs) Like, that's just really not in vogue. But that's what... The text has for us. And so we're going to wrestle with that. And I have to admit, this is not a tough text. These these next three passages are not uh, easy passages at all. But may the Lord lead us. Hear God's word. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is God's word. Let me tell you about my shit It's a great way to start a sermon. I have a a shed, and I have two sheds at our house. There's one that's closer, one that's further, and one, they both have a door, very simple. Well, I noticed that the one door, as I'm opening it, and I use that one, it's more of the lawn equipment's in there, it it stays open a lot more. And it started to actually come loose at the top, and the staples have come loose, and it's actually becoming unhinged at the top part of this shed door. And I just kind of noticed it one day. I looked, and there's like an inch gap at the top of the shed from the door, from the hinge. But thankfully, Glenn, Glenn Reichert hooked me up with some long four inch screws and drilled those puppies in the top of that thing to reinforce it and to strengthen the door so it doesn't come unhinged altogether. Now, when you think about that door and its hinge, I want you to. Just go back for these last two years in our culture, and I feel like we're like the shed and the door that's become unhinged at the top. And you think of January 6th in particular, 2021, and all of a sudden it feels like we've become unhinged from our constitution, our foundation, and shockingly, some Christians were part of this unhinging and part of this... Um, uh, Capitol building riot. And so as you think about this in light of First Peter 2, let's just kind of, we can actually talk about this now. It's like well over a year of history. But on January 6, 2021, a mob of somewheres between 2,000, 2,500 people that were diehard Trump supporters, they attacked the Capitol building. They sought to overturn the defeat of the presidential election by disrupting the joint session of Congress assembled that were to count the electoral votes and the Capitol complex was locked down. Lawmakers and staff were evacuated as rioters assaulted law enforcement officers, they vandalized property, and they occupied the Capitol building for several hours. Five people died either shortly before, during, or following the event. One was shot by Capitol police Another died of a drug overdose and three died of natural causes and a lot of people were injured. hundred and thirty-eight police were injured. Four officers who responded to the attack died by suicide within seven months after non, uh, January 6th. Now two of these Christians, and there were many more, but I'll just highlight two that we would point out that something's wrong here, is that one was Coy Griffin, He is the pastor of the Cowboy Church, New Heart Cowboy Church, and he was one of the people who heard a friend who had a vision that a million people were going to declare that Christ is Lord. And so I'm sure some of you heard this, that some of the uh, looking back into what happened on January 6th, there was some Pentecostal prophets making some of these prophecies that kind of helped the swell of what happened. And so uh, he said just find a group and a bullhorn and lead them in prayer. And he said, it was like the call was laid back on me. And the days after January 6th, uh, he said in public forums that he would return to D.C. to defend the Second Amendment, predicting that blood will be running out of that building. He was charged with unlawful entry on the riot, and he pleaded not guilty. So this is a pastor who brought some of his people with him uh, to... Uh, into the Capitol building. Then you have Jenna Ryan. She's a Texas real estate agent, life coach. Um, And she, um, I mean, her quote was, we're all going to break those windows having to deal with the tear bombs. We have to because they're taking our stuff, and she uses a cuss word, and And you can figure out what she was saying. But she's shown at the Capitol building in front of the Capitol, windows breaking, alarms going off, and she's chanting, leading the chant, USA, USA, here we are in the name of Jesus. And she was then filmed inside, and she says that what she was doing was preaching and talking about Jesus. Jesus. And so if we're wondering why the world was so concerned that it seemed like there were some Christians that were actually behind this, it's because it was actually true. And so it really begs the question, what is the Christian's role in relation to government? And I just want us to focus on this morning. Uh, Remember who they are, meaning uh, government officials, who they are, remember who they are. And remember who we are and whose king and kingdom we represent. So first of all, remember who they are. And so we, were just, we just read this morning in Romans 13, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God. And those that exist have been instituted by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authorities resists what God has appointed And those who resist will incur judgment. And we're told here that, uh, we're just told be subject for the Lord. The word sake is thrown in there. That's not really in the original, but be subject because of the Lord to every human institution or every human creation is the idea here. And the idea is that God has put them there. And whether it's the emperor supreme, or the governors. And this idea of every human institution, an interesting word here, it's the word that's used in the long version of Mark and the Great Commission where we're told to preach the gospel to every creature, or to the whole creation, Mark 16:15, Same word, every creature, whole creation. Or, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Same word, new creature. Same word here. That's who we're to submit to. So we're called at this point in our submission isn't ultimately to systems, but to people that are appointed in these systems. They're ordained by God as governing authority, whether it's the emperor, the governor, an absolute monarch, a limited monarchy with a parliamentary democracy like the UK or a republic like the US. We're all Christians. We all as Christians are called to live in submission to... These authorities that are ultimately people are put over them. And when you think of, you know, our role as Christians, this is unique. We are called to submit. And I think a lot of us, um, and I'll just acknowledge to you this morning, I really struggle with this, te- this text. And the reason is I felt like everybody I read was exceptionally lame. There was very little help in any of the commentaries. I had a dream this week that I've told some of you that I was at an Ivy League school. I had, was there at this Ivy League institution and it was massive and buildings everywhere and I got lost and I couldn't even find my dorm room. And you're an Ivy League student and you can't even find your dorm room and, My wife knows how easy I am getting lost. I don't pay attention, so it would be pretty easy. But here I am at this Ivy League school. I can't find my dorm room, and I can't find my key to even get into the dorm. So I don't even know which dorm I'm supposed to go to because I can't even find my key. And then my friend who was with me said he had to leave, and he left. And he was smarter than me, and he could have helped me get back. And I'm stuck, and it starts to rain. And this dream is just getting worse and worse and it's one of those lost dreams and if you look it up it says you have a problem in your life of something you can't reconcile and, and from part of it is like a text like this because there's, it, the more you study it you realize well, should we talk about the Hebrew midwives? Should we talk about Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego? Should we talk about Daniel praying? Should we talk about the apostles at Acts 4 and 5 preaching the gospel? There's lots of places in the Bible where people went against the government and God rewarded them. And here we're told, just submit. So you've got to reconcile the two. And how do you know when, when do you say enough is enough as the government and say, we really shouldn't be wearing a mask. We've actually done the science, and we don't think that unless it's in KN95 that it actually works, and we really shouldn't do that. I'm not saying that's where I'm landing, but I've got people pointing in my ear saying, when are we going to stand as a church and say no more to the government? When? I I'm, I'm a bit lost, it's like, thankfully I woke up in the dream, it was yes, I've woken up and I was able to go back to sleep, but this is a tough text and I think what happens is we tend to say, I'll submit to the government if it's worthy of submitting to, I'll submit as long as they're worthy to submit to, who is Peter saying this about, what's his context? And I wish I knew more because nobody's really telling you what they're being called to submit to, but we certainly get in Romans 13, it was certainly towards paying taxes, right? I mean... We're called in Romans 13, you know, we just read it together as the church, you know, pay to what you owe, pay your taxes. And we saw that Jesus holds up the coin and says, render to Caesar what is Caesar's and give to God what is God. And even Jesus paid the temple tax, even though he says the sons are free and I'm the son of God. And certainly son of God shouldn't be paying taxes to, the te- to an earthly temple. But nevertheless, Peter, just go and take your fishing rod, throw it in there, take the, the coin out of the first fish that you catch, pay our tax for both of us and we'll, we'll submit to the governing authority, even the temple tax. So there is this idea of certainly we need to be paying our taxes. Peter is writing this, and the emperor is Nero. Oh, yeah, emperor is Nero. Let's just go down memory lane for a bit, or a history lesson. AD 54, Nero's 17 years old. His mother arranged for Claudius to be poisoned to death. That's how he ascends the throne. He's proclaimed, the son is now proclaimed emperor of Rome, His reign is going to last 14 years until he commits suicide at age 31. The first half of his his reign, and this is some of John Piper's material here, he says part of his reign was relatively good, but as a youth he received good counsel from Burrus, the head of the Praetorian Guard, and from Seneca, the famous Stoic philosopher. But he was very selfish, calculating. Incapable of ruling well on his own, he became paranoid of all these rumors and plots to kill him. And so in 55, he had his brother Britannicus killed. In 59, he has his mother executed. In 62, he has his wife executed. And Seneca, his former counselor, was forced to commit suicide. I mean, this is kind of, you don't want to be in the inner circle around this guy. It doesn't look like it's going very well if you get too close to Nero. And so here is Peter writing this about Nero around AD 62 or 63, right before AD 64. And AD 64, something kind of big happened around July 19th, you remember? A big fire broke out in Rome in the southern part of the city. It raged for six days, spreading far and wide. And when it was about to die out, it suddenly broke out again in the northern part of the city and burned three more days. And 10 of the 14 wards of the city were completely destroyed. And the frenzy in the city is indescribable. Rumors began to spread that Nero himself had started the fire because of his this delirious craving for magnificence and desire to embellish and rebuild the city. And, and to divert the attention from himself, the historian Tacitus said that Nero blamed the Christians for the fire and he hated them anyway, and they're good scapegoats. The, the effect was horrendous. There'd been no persecution like it since the Lord had been risen had been raised 30 years before. And so in the gardens of Nero, the Christians were crucified. They were sewn into wild beast skins and fed the dogs. They were drenched in flammable oil and lifted on poles to burn his torches in the night. And Peter was writing right before this. And he was talking about Christians being slandered and mistreated, as we see in 2.15. And he wrote, and, and he's writing before all of this really gets really bad, And Piper even thinks he may have been prophesying in 4.12 when he says, beloved, don't be surprised at the fiery ordeal among you, which will come upon you for your testing as though something strange were happening to you. And Nero wasn't the only ruler that Peter had known. I mean, Peter knew about Pilate, the governor in Judea, who'd washed his hands after three times, declaring, I find no fault in this man. I find no fault. I find no fault. And he has him crucified. Beaten, turned over to the guards, crucified with no grounds. He had known of Herod Antipas, who had ex- executed John the Baptist as a dancing prize, and later put the purple robe on Jesus and mocked him with his soldiers. And Peter was probably a boy in Galilee when he heard that Herod the Great had killed all the children in Bethlehem. His Piper saying Peter wasn't naive about a vicious world of government corruption and wickedness. He didn't live in a Christian nation. He knew the depravity of human nature and the utter, utterly ruinous corruption that political power can bring. And yet he still says in verse 13, submit yourselves because of the Lord to every human creation, whether as to a king or to one authority or to governors as sent by him. He doesn't, you see, we would want to blunt it we would want to blunt the command to say submit and honor if they're worthy of submission. And I think a lot of Christians today lament our current state of affairs and feel like, as I was describing, the country being unhinged. I, we love the good old days when Ronald Reagan was president and his famous lines of government's not the solution to our problem, government is the problem, or the nine you know, most terrifying words in the English language are. I'm from the government, and I'm here to help. I mean, you know, we love those days of Reagan, right? We love those quotes. If only we could get back to those days. Those are the days we had values and morals, and the country stood for something. Well, it might be good for our selective memories to remember who, who Reagan was working with. Because here's the 100th Congress. From 1987 to 89, 117 were, were bankrupt, bankrupted two or more businesses, 84 were charged with driving while intoxicated, 21 were arrested for spousal abuse, 21 had lawsuits against them, 19 had been arrested for writing bad checks, 14 were arrested on drug charges, 8 arrested on shoplifting charges, and 7 convicted of of fraud. That was the Congress in place from 1987 and 1989, the good old days, when when everybody was so moral and upstanding and, and virtuous. The days we longed to get back to, those were the days. You see, that might not seem like a government worth submitting to either. Yet nevertheless, let every person be subject to the governing authorities. There's no authority except from God and those that exist have been instituted by God. And so we need to remember who they are. They're still instituted by God. And who are we? Well, who are we? We're the people of God. We're called out by him to declare his praises. And if you look at this passage again, just want you to see how the Lord just if you if you have the text and you have a pen, just every time the Lord shows up, just underline it. Be subject for the Lord's sake or because of the Lord to every institution, whether it be to the emperor supreme or to governors as sent by him, and that sent by him is very interesting to try to figure out whether he's referring to the emperor or he's referring to the Lord, but it's the Lord who appointed the emperor, so certainly the sent by him, you can go ahead and underline as well. To punish those who do evil and to praise those who are good, for this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence or literally muzzle like a pack of wild dogs, the ignorance or literally the hostility of foolish people. So they're going to be hostile people and the way to silence them and muzzle them is to go hard and rebel. Is that what it says? No, it says doing good, doing good. Big theme in 1 Peter. So live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. There it is again. And then we get the chiasm, and chiasms are are pretty big in the Bible, but you go on the A, B, B, A theme. And so as you follow a chiasm, the B's are more important than the A's because it's leading to a central point in the middle. So we get the A's on the outskirts, we start with an honor and we end with an honor, and Peter has the audacity to say that honoring everyone and honoring the emperor is the same thing. They're to be honored. That's the, but the middle of the chiasm is more important love the brotherhood, love the church, love's gonna be a little higher than the honor, honor everybody, and what would the antonym of honor be? Lots of things. Disobey, despise, say bad things, say things like sleepy Joe, or or narcissist-in-chief and and make fun of and say things that are really regrettable and all of us have much to repent on because we tend to either pick on one side or the other, but we're to honor everyone and we're to honor the emperor. So we should not be doing the antonym of shaming, despising, disobeying, disrespecting. We're to honor everyone because they're all image bearers. And that includes the emperor, commander-in-chief, honor them but greater still love the brotherhood fear god and it's interesting that solomon had said in proverbs fear god and the king and here he just puts fear god in a different category with this chiasm it's it's the it's the highest thing here fear god you know did anybody experience the thunder this week did anybody experience the fear of god afresh this week did nobody experience the thunder? In the middle of the, of the night, did you actually sleep through that, Kim? Oh, oh, my word. I mean, I was like, Lord, you are Lord. I'm, I'm ready to confess any sins. I mean, it was like it, that, that thunderbolt came through with such authority. And when you, bam, the crash hits, it's like, fear God. Yes, <laughs> he is God. And his words are like peals of thunder, we're told in Revelation. So fear God. He's so much greater than all these things and that's why we're to do all these other things of loving the brotherhood, honoring everyone, honor the emperor because we're gonna give an account to God. We will all have to face his judgment and so put your trust there. And so I think the two big themes, well there's many themes running through 1 Peter but two in particular that I just wanna point out that are in this text. The first is, he says this is the will of God, that by doing good you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. So this idea of the will of God, big theme in 1 Peter. So just, let's just follow it for a second. So if you look over at 3.17, we'll, we'll see it again. And so we're told in, in 3.17 that it's better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So if you have to make a choice that I'm going to do good, but I might be persecuted even by the government or by some authority or by some boss by doing good, and maybe it's like what the Supreme Court justices did and now they're going to pick it and write in front of your house or something. If I'm going to do good, it's better to suffer for that if that should be God's will than than doing evil. Then you look down at 4, 1, and 2 again, Since Christ suffered in the flesh, arm yourself with the same way of thinking, knowing you're gonna suffer. But whoever suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. So as to live the rest of the time in the flesh, no longer for human passions, no longer living for human lust, but living for what? The will of God. I'm living now to do God's will. Not exactly sure what it is, but, but it might mean that if it comes to sinning or not sinning, I know I needed to not sin and suffer and do God's will. And then, of course, 419 is the kind of the theme verse of the whole book. Let, the, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So God's will is a big one. So we need to do God's will. And God's will throughout this whole epistle of 1 Peter is doing good, doing good. Keep doing good. So let's just follow that theme for a second of of this idea of doing good. So you see it there in 2.12, it was last week's message that we're to keep our conduct among the Gentiles good so that they speak against you as evildoers that they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So let them see your good deeds. And here we're told in 15, That you're to do good. The way that you're actually going to silence people and put a muzzle on them is by doing good. So continue to do good deeds. So you just follow that theme and you say, wow, okay, look down at 220. In 220 we see that how masters and, and servants are to correspond with one another and it says, what credit is it for you when you sin and are beaten for it, you endure. But if when you do good and suffer for it you endure, for this is a gracious thing in the sight of God. So we're to do good, and sometimes we might suffer for it. Then you look down at 3.6, and we'll get to this, where even Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you are her children if you do good. And do not fear anything that's frightening. Then 3.11, we're quoting, he's quoting from Psalm 34, let him turn away from evil and do good. Good, are you seeing a theme yet in First Peter? I mean, it's, it just keeps going. Then how about 3, 3, 3.13? Now, who is there to harm you if you are zealous for what is good? Okay, and then 3.17 again, for it's better to suffer for doing good, um, if that should be God's will, then for doing evil. And of course, then 4.19, 419 again. Let those who suffer according to God's will entrust their souls to a faithful creator while doing good. So I, don't, I may not have like some profound answer of like when do you actually stand up to the government? That's a really complex issue. And as you study it, if we were in Exodus 1, we would talk more about the, the Hebrew midwives. And if we were in the book of, you know... Uh, uh, Daniel, we would look at Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. We'd look at Daniel and his prayers, or, but we're not there. So let each text stand on its own, and it's just telling us, do good, do good. Remember which king and which kingdom you're really serving, because there is a real battle that's going on between the city of God and the city of man. The city of God is Jerusalem, city of man is Babylon, and those two get contrasted throughout the whole Bible. And as Sinclair Ferguson put it like this, Babylon and Jerusalem represent two cities to which men and women belong. They symbolize two loyalties of what the scripture describes in many word pictures, two gates, two ways, two masters. As such, Babylon and Jerusalem are permanently opposed to each other, and there's a great spiritual battle going on. And as Augustine Where we get this from, the city of God, in his book, he describes two cities, the city of man, the city of God, and and Augustine says these two cities have been formed by two loves, the earthly by the love of self, even to the contempt of God, and the heavenly by the love of God, even to the contempt of self. So Christians, though you're employed by the city of man, called to bring about the shalom of that city and called to pray for it and to do good in that city. City of man. You're not called to separate and retreat, but to serve the city of man. Help bring about it, shalom, as you serve the city of God. And John Newton, a slave trader, converted. Christ became a pastor he says this our Lord's wisdom is not of this I'm sorry our Lord's kingdom is not of this world and most of his people may do their country much more essential service by pleading for it in prayer than by finding fault with things they have no power to alter a nation's safety lies more in the prayers of its people than in the fleet of its arm of its navy And he goes on to say, For poison in politics, good Lord, deliver me. I think a political spirit as hurtful to the life of God in the soul as poison is to the bodily frame. And I think what he meant was this idea of a negative political spirit. Hurtful to the life of God in the soul as is poison to the bodily frame. And yet the stuff, the talk radio, the talking head, so much of it is to feed poison. Because it's the whole point is to instill rage, anger, uh, frustration. It's it's really to irritate you. It's really so you'll keep listening, so that you'll forward more hate. And hates, you know, they've discovered hates go a lot faster on the internet than likes. And so retweeting and passing things along, what tends to get forwarded is more when people are angry. And so, Lord, deliver us from that. Remember which weapons we use. What weapons do we use? For though we walk in the flesh, we do not wage war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments in every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. So the weapons that we use are ultimately weapons that bring about our holiness, our holiness, our holiness. We're taking every thought captive to obey Christ. Not to obey earthly governments, ultimately, but to obey Christ. Remember the weapons. And remember your leaders. Consider their way of life. Hebrews 13, 7 just says, Remember your leaders. Those who spoke to you the word of God, consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. that a powerful passage. I mean, Peter is writing this. And he's saying, submit to, to governors and authorities and to emperors to whom I will not submit because I'm going to continue preaching the gospel and I will be crucified upside down. He did ultimately resist because when, they, when the government goes clearly against praying and preaching and telling you to kill children and leave them, there, there are clear times where the government is to be resisted when they're calling you to do something clearly that God has told you otherwise. And when Peter does make that stand, he is crucified upside down under Nero, who we just read about earlier. Consider your leaders who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their way of life and imitate their faith. They kept doing good. They said whether you know, we should obey man or not They said, we must obey God. And they keep preaching the gospel. And ultimately, Jesus lived this out perfectly as he submitted to this horrible trial, this kangaroo court that would find him guilty, even though he was completely innocent. And they crucified the Lord of glory Yet it was for our salvation. Jesus lives this out perfectly. And we'll look at that next week. As we're called to, to, to this you were called, to follow in his steps. He committed no sin, neither was deceit found in his, in his mouth. When he was reviled, he did not revile in return. When he suffered, he did not threaten, but continued entrusting himself to him who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live for righteousness. For by his wounds you've been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but now you've returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And so we're called to be free but we're not to use our freedom to indulge a sinful nature, but rather to serve one another in love. Or here we're called to be free, but don't use your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but, but live as slaves of God. Live as you, you are enchained to him. And so is George Matheson, this hymn writer, who wrote, O oh, Love That Will not Let Me Go, and another hymn called Make Me Captive, Lord. Here's the first verse, and we'll end with this. Make me captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Force me to render up my sword and I shall or be. I sink in life's alarms when by myself I stand. Imprison me with thine arms and strong shall be my hand. Make me captive, Lord, and then I shall be free. Let's pray. Lord, may we have no other master but you. Would you give perspective, And may your Holy Spirit make clear to us how do we honor everyone? How do we honor the president? How do we honor those in authority? How do we love the brotherhood? And how do we fear you above all? Pray that you would bring a soberness to each of us, that we all will have to stand and give an account to you. Lord, help us to... Respect fellow image bearers. Forgive us for the things that we have said or posted that did not honor. Father, we pray that you would use us. Help us to do good. Pray that you would use some of the things that we're doing in the church for good. We pray that we keep the first things first. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.